welcome to Things Worth Learning. I'm your host, Matt Stauffer, and this is a show where a curious computer programmer, that's me, interviews fascinating people about their passions. Today, my guest is Jess Archer, a programmer at Laravel. Whoop, whoop. Jess, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, whether it's your personal or your professional life? Hi, Matt. Yes, I am from Australia. I've got two kids, and at the moment, I'm really into archery, which kind of goes with my surname, Archer. Yes, but I did not know this. <laughs> How long have you been into archery? Only a couple of months. Okay. Probably not even that. I'm still on my like probationary membership at the okay. club. So I grew up in the country, so we had like rifles. My dad would do deer hunting in the past, and then we each of yep. us he would buy us at some point. I don't think he would buy us a no. He'd buy us the materials to make a fishing rod, but he'd buy us a compound bow. And so we learned on one of the really simple recurve bows, where it's just like you know it just bends. But then eventually we got with the compound bows. For those of you all haven't seen, they've got like freaking little wheels and gadgets and gizmos all around them, and you look like you're like in a predator movie or something. Are you working with compound bows right now? No, I'm doing a recurve. Okay. So yeah, that's kind of the one where like it bends in, but then it bends out at the top. Uh -huh. So it's not like a traditional bow where it's like just like a C shape. Right. It's kind of more like a curvy. S kind of shape. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I kind of I wanted to do something like start with something a bit more traditional and basic yeah. before I went to the like you say the compound bows. They've got like the cams. Yes, cams. That's what they give you all this like mechanical advantage where you like pull it back and you don't have to hold the whole weight of the drawer. I have not thought they're, about this wild. until I was in, since <laughs> since I was in high school. And it's all now. And there's there's now things that I probably understand now that I didn't then. I wouldn't have thought of what you said about not holding the whole weight of the draw until now. My brain understands what the point of the cam. And back then I was like, yeah, it's cool. It's got little wheels on it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yep. So that's awesome. Okay. So Jess Archer is into archery. I love this. It is so fitting. Uh, was there anything else you're going to say about yourself <laughs> or before I interrupted you or is that, are you pretty good? No, that's, okay, that's cool. pretty good. I mean, I could talk for a while, but yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah. Let's, let's get onto the topic. And, and the, but real quick, the reason that I did the whoop is because Jess is a wonderful human being and programmer and speaker and friend and all kind of stuff who recently started working for Laravel, which is in our segment of the industry is sort of the dream for a lot of people. Cause a lot of us write yeah. Laravel code every day, but like, you know, to work for Laravel and with Laravel means her daily work is doing this incredible stuff in the ecosystem that we all live in, breathe in every single day. So I just wanted to say again, like, congratulations. It's an amazing accomplishment, completely well-deserved and good on you. Thank you. I've been watching a lot of like cooking shows recently mm -hmm. and they have like these like professional chefs and they have to cook meals for like their heroes and idols. Oh Lord. And they're <laughs> completely blown away by it. And I saw a lot of parallels there where, oh, like, I'm writing code that's getting reviewed by Taylor every day. Right. And I feel like I've kind of reached that level where they are in the cooking industry, but in the programming industry. I love so. that. I also think that there's, like, a, an element of you're both doing that, but also, like, it's in their world, their favorite chefs are kind of, like, eating their food or whatever. But your favorite chef just hired you as a sous chef, right? Yeah. Like that's some next yep, level stuff, man. Like that's <laughs> awesome. I'm not saying it's like your favorite, but I'm yep. just saying like, you know, whatever in that analogy. I love it. Well, congratulations yep. again. Well-deserved. I know that's what we're talking about today. Thank so you. moving on to our first question of the day, do you have any sort of life mantra or phrase or idea that you try to live your life by? Yeah, I think it is changing, but originally, and probably what I've been living by for the last few years is to always be trying to step out of my comfort zone. Okay. So always doing things that scare me a little bit, make me mm. nervous because that's how I grow. So I taking jobs, for example, that I feel, you know, that I, I'm like, I have a lot of doubt. Like, can I actually do this job? Am yeah. I the right person for this? But taking those things, going on podcasts, like yeah. doing talks, yeah. all these things that scare me. And mm -hmm. even after doing many podcasts now, yeah. I still get nervous when I do them. But saying yes to those things has 
always made my life better. It's given mm. me more exposure and opened up more opportunities. There is a limit though. Like sometimes <laughs> if you say yes to too many things, you yeah, end up being yeah. completely overwhelmed and stressed out. So yeah. it's finding that balance. Yeah. I love that. And it's interesting because I'm 37 and I co-own a successful software consultancy. And so I've kind of like spent a lot of my early years really unsettled where I was. I had ADHD. I wasn't really in a great industry. And then now I'm like, now I've built this really wonderful environment around me. And just within the last couple of weeks, I've like, I'm flipping everything on its head and like going back to some old things that I haven't done in ages that are a little difficult and doing some new things that I kind of don't want to do. But it's like, I think this is the best thing to have the even bigger and better future of Titan. And it's yeah. scary and it's uncomfortable because I was really easily settled where I was, but it's also like, oh, this is what it's going to take. This is the next thing, you know, and I'm already yeah. starting to see some fruit from it. But even then, just like the feeling like trying a new thing and not getting stuck where I was. So I hadn't named it that way until you just said that. So once again, thank you for my therapy session. That's how this podcast works out for me. But thank you. That's a really helpful way to think about it. You're very welcome. <laughs> okay. So you know this podcast is actually about one thing, which is not my therapy, but today we're going to talk about one thing you're passionate about. Can you tell us what we're talking about today? So today I would like to talk about NeoVim. And I realize that we're not dealing with an entirely technical audience. Mm -hmm. It is a tool that technical people use, but other people use it such as writers and all sorts okay, of stuff. So cool. NeoVim is a text editor, mm -hmm. which doesn't sound super exciting. Right. But it has a whole lot of philosophies and methodologies behind it that make it different than basically every other text editor. Okay. Um, the other thing to say about NeoVim is it's not the first vim so okay. neovim is a fork of and a fork is basically where you like take an open source code base and like copy it so neovim is a fork of something called vim and vim is a fork of something called vi mm -hmm. so it's kind of like gone down this chain i think vi was originally from the 70s yeah. so i kind of like to say you know i'm basically using a text editor from the 70s in 2022 and it's still awesome that's great so i have so many so many questions from my view but i also want to make sure we get it to get to it from the vantage point of people who aren't familiar so i use vim somewhat regularly so for those of you who have never heard of it i'm going to do my best to try and make this make sense for you vi and vim were text editors and i bet you we can talk about in a second kind of like what is their way of thinking that continues into neo vim but one of the yep. things that i think it just thinking about like when someone imagines a text editor, I think they often imagine, you know, notes or pages or Microsoft Word or something like that, where it's this like graphical interface in Windows or in Mac or something like that. But VI and Vim, you know, when you're using those, you're on a terminal, right? So you're like actually on like green letters and a black background looking like you're a hacker, right? Is NeoVim yes, that same exactly. way too? Or is NeoVim actually more like a graphical interface kind of situation? So NeoVim is primarily a terminal-based okay. editor. It has been designed in such a way that they can incorporate it into graphical tools. Mm, okay. So one of its goals is to allow it to be incorporated into like full IDEs, which are like basically a text editor with a lot of programming tools baked into it as well. Got it. Okay. So and, yeah. And Vim has not been built that way. So so one of the things that people would often do is they would try to make the keyboard shortcuts you can use in Vim work in your other tools, but it wasn't actually Vim. So in yes. NeoVim, they're actually able to put NeoVim in the IDE itself. Yes, wow, like an okay. actual instance of it. I've had like NeoVim set up in my browser. So anytime you're like typing in a text box in a you browser, it. it would actually insert like wow. a NeoVim instance in there. Okay, that's amazing, obviously. Because once you start using it, and we'll talk about like why I love using it, but yeah. once you start using it, you want to use it everywhere. It's fundamentally different than any other way of editing text. Yeah, so, and that, that's where I want to get to. So real quick for context, if somebody wants to imagine in your mind kind of what we're talking about, 
like I said, imagine that you've got a hacker or one of the two of us sitting here <laughs> and we've got our website up in one half of our screen. You know, it's probably a very large screen because of computer programmers. And then the other side of our screen, instead of what you might imagine, which is like a very modern looking code editor, one of the things we often do is we actually have like this, again, this green on black or this white on black nerdy looking thing. And instead of editing our files with like clicking and dragging, we're literally editing our files by opening something up in that that green on black view that you see hackers do, we call that the terminal. And it's like the most direct way for most humans to access a computer. Like unless you write machine code, like if you're accessing a computer at its most core level, you're opening up that little thing and you're typing in a specific set of commands. So there's no mouse usage basically. And one of the commands you can say is open up this file that I'm looking at in VI or Vim or NeoVim. So like just to, if you're imagining how nerdy we are, that's what it looks like. But the ideologies we're going to talk about today translate outside of that very nerdy context. And I think that's one of the reasons why Jess yes. is talking about this here. So especially if you've heard of Vim before, I want to speak to you the most. We're not just talking about nerds in terminals, right? So while I do want like everybody else to hear that that is kind of like the founding place is nerds and terminals, these ways of thinking about it are not things that are about nerds and are not things about terminals. They're about a different way of using a keyboard to interact with text. And that's, I feel like that's what's most interesting, right? So a hundred percent. Can you tell, and I assume that NeoVim has most of the same or the similar kind of key bindings and movements that Vim does, right? So we can just talk about how it works across yes. all of them. Okay. So yep, can you, absolutely. for somebody who doesn't understand in what way could any text editor interact differently with the keyboard than any other text editor, how do you even begin describing that to someone? Like, what does it look like? Okay. So real quick, just to back up real, real yeah, quick, of course. The, the whole like green text on the terminal thing, like that's definitely the way most people think about that style of thing and it's the best way to like explain to people like to get them in the right frame of mind mm -hmm. but just for reference like when you've configured NeoVim and or Vim and all that you normally have like themes and everything and you set up your terminal in such a way that it actually doesn't look too much like it's running in a terminal yes, it absolutely. almost feels like it's a full application you've got all the colors all the yeah. things so. and you've got like little arrows and boxes and stuff like that so and that's a great point yeah yeah it, you can have like split windows, so it'll like cut the window in half and have like two things on each side. Mm -hmm. Like it basically looks and feels like it's a, a graphical user interface tool. Yeah, for sure. All right. So in terms of editing with Vim, when you first open it, and a lot of people run into this, they, they first open with a file and they go to start typing like you would in any other editor. And they're surprised, frustrated, annoyed when either nothing happens or even worse, random things happen like text gets deleted or moved or all this sort of stuff. And so the reason for this is the reason why I love NeoVim, and that's because it's a modal text editor. Okay. And what that basically means is that it has it runs in a bunch of different modes, and the default mode is called normal mode. And when you're in normal mode, typing letters on the keyboard doesn't actually translate to text entering on your screen. In normal mode, every key on your keyboard can do a command or a function or do something to manipulate the text. So in most editors, when you open up, you can just start typing straight away. But when you want to do an operation on the text, you can't really use all the keys on the keyboard to do that. You've got to like hold control and mm -hmm. shift and then one of those keys to basically tell the editor, right now when I'm doing this, I'm not actually wanting to type this thing. Right. I want to you know, issue some sort of command. I want to change this text or something along those lines. So what makes NeoVim and Vim and VI so much different is that there's this concept of modal editing and the default mode being normal mode, where if I want to change some text, for example, I can type, uh, let's say I'm, I've got my cursor in the middle of a word 
and I want to change the entirety of that word to something else. I can type C-I-W, which basically is like mm -hmm. change inside word, and then type a new word. And it doesn't matter where my cursor is inside that word because the next part about Vim is it has this concept of text objects. So everything inside the document you're working on kind of has like a, a way of describing it. So you've got things like words, you've got mm -hmm. sentences, you've got stuff inside quotes, stuff inside brackets. And so you can use those text objects to tell Vim what change you want to make to that text object. Mm -hmm. So you can delete a word, you can delete everything inside quotes. You can change double quotes to single quotes without having to manually go to the start, backspace that, type another one, go to the end, backspace that, type the other one. You can have your cursor anywhere inside that and just issue a command to say change the surrounding quotes from this to this. Mm -hmm. And at its heart, that's why I love it. it. Vim gives you this almost this language for talking to your text editor mm -hmm. and mm. saying do this operation. I love that. You're not thinking I need to manually move these keys over here and do this. You're just saying to Vim, I want to change this to this. I, I want to delete that. this. It's so interesting because it's it's such a different way of thinking that it's hard to even mm -hmm. describe to people like how different it is or, or why it's beneficial because we just like think every time I use a keyboard anywhere in my computer outside of Vim, it's always going to work the same way. I press a button and that button is now the thing that is on the text in front of me. And if I want to get rid of it, I press the backspace button. And maybe if you're like yeah. a little bit more advanced of a user, you might hit control A or command A that selects all of them and then delete or maybe shift left or shift right and it selects part of a word. So there's these only power users really know about this. So for example, I'm trying to give an example that anybody would recognize, but like, let's say you're typing a really long URL into your browser and you're like, oh no, I mistyped the first letter of this 20 letter long URL, right? Or you want to delete everything back to a certain point, or you want to go back to a certain point and make a type, typo change. What you're probably going to do is reach down, grab your mouse, move your mouse up, get it to the spot you want, click, oh crap, wasn't quite the right spot. You click over to a different spot a little <laughs> bit, you start typing, and then you take your mouse and you click down at the end, and then you're going to do it the thing at the end, right? And we're even just talking about simple navigation, right? So if you yeah. were, we're not even talking about any of the more complex stuff, but because you mentioned this using this kind of mode in, outside of just text editing, if you were in a place where you'd just written a long thing in NeoVim or Vim or VI, and you wanted to navigate to somewhere else, can you kind of tell me a little bit about what the navigation kind of story is like to help people understand like, in what way am I moving through the, the, the objects, right? You're moving through words, moving through sentences, moving through paragraphs yep. differently in Vim that allows me to do different stuff. Let's start by saying that first when we're editing code and we're writing code and even when we're writing long form text, a lot of the time we're actually editing text rather than writing it. We spend mm -hmm. more time editing than we do actually writing the thing. Mm -hmm. So having something that's optimized for editing okay. is... Hmm. Super, super important. Yeah. And one analogy that I've um, heard about Vim that I love, I can't remember where I heard it, but if you imagine a painter, when they're doing their painting on a canvas, when they've got their paintbrush touching the canvas, that's kind of like insert mode. That's when you're like mm. putting stuff on the page. But the majority of the time, the painter has their paintbrush off the canvas mm. and that's kind of like normal mode. And that's where you're moving around and changing paints and yeah, huh. grabbing different tools and all this sort of stuff. And then you go back into insert mode briefly to put it on there, but you always come straight back out of it. Mm. So with, with Vim, you're mostly in normal mode. You type something, but like instinctively, the second you finish typing the thing you want to type, you push escape to get back into normal mode because that's where you can do stuff. And yeah. so you talked about movement. 
And in modern Vim and NeoVim, you can use the mouse. Yeah. But as you mentioned, it can be pretty slow to kind of reach down, pick it up, move it around, and it can be a bit imprecise with like the targets of mm. where you want to hit. And, you know, for average people using a computer, like that's not going to add up to too much time. Yeah. But if you're spending your entire day writing and editing, yeah. those optimizations add up. And not only do they add up in time, but they also help not break your flow. So when you're mm. writing something mm -hmm. and you make a mistake, you've kind of got to like switch from I was trying to solve this thing, build this thing to like I've got to go and fix that mistake. Mm -hmm. And so the more you can do to like make that those little fixing of mistakes and that easier, yeah, the more you can stay in your flow. I love that. So moving around in NeoVim, you can use the arrow keys, mm -hmm. but on most keyboards the arrow keys are kind of like further down and to the right, and even that is too much for most Vim users. Yeah. So the default movement keys, the default arrow keys in Vim are actually HJKL. And if you have a keyboard in front of you, you'll notice that they're right in the middle of the keyboard on your right-hand side. It's kind of where your hand naturally rests. Yeah. So, and normally if you type HJKL in a normal text editor, you'll type the letters HJKL. Yeah. But in Vim and NeoVim, because you're not in, like when you're in normal mode, those yeah, keys are actually like left, up, down, right. Mm -hmm. Now, Vim users take that one step further, though, and using HJKL is actually generally not advised unless you actually only need to move like a couple of characters. Mm -hmm. But if you want to move by words, you've got different keys that will move you word-wise. So you can push W and it'll like jump to each word in a sentence and B to go backwards. Mm -hmm. And if you're at the start of the word, you can push a key, I think E, that takes you to the end of the word. Yeah. So you try and actually avoid using the... The, like the arrow cursors, the HJKL. Yeah. Unless you actually, yeah, want to go like one or two characters left or right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love, it's a great description of it because I was jumping ahead a little bit, but one of the things that's really cool about it is when you're thinking about like what you need to do, first of all, like if you imagine hitting the left arrow key a bunch of times to get back to that mistake that you were typing in the URL that I was talking about, first of all, that's slow. But second of all, you're not really like you, our brain understands things that chunk in chunks that the traditional keyboard doesn't give us access to. Like we can't say word mm -hmm. or we can't say segments of a URL that are separated by slashes. We can't say things within quotes or paragraphs or things within braces or parentheses. Whereas we actually get access to some of these things that are more than just one character. And I think that's the biggest thing for me when we're talking about movement in Vim and NeoVim is movement on a traditional keyboard is left a character, right a character, up a character, down a character, meaning up and down the line. Everything is by the one character. And the likelihood that we ever actually want to move just one character, left, right, up or down when we're doing something is extremely low, right? It's almost always yeah. go back a word, go back three URL segments, go up two lines, go back two paragraphs, or do within these two slashes or within these whatever. And those are ideas that all are things that exist within Vim. So I don't even know where to ask you to go next. I mean, you talked a little bit about the really basic movements, words forward, you know, and backwards. You talked about like going up and down a line or left and right a character. Where do you go from there? You know, have you had to explain to people before kind of like how to begin wrapping their brains around movement and selection and all that kind of stuff and the grammar? Yeah. So I like to break the some of the components of Vim down into like three main categories. So we've got text objects which represent you know, a word, for example. So if mm -hmm. your cursor's in the middle of the word, you can kind of refer to that word no matter where you're in it. Mm -hmm. But other than text objects, you've also got motions. And motions are more about movement. So that's when you're, say you're in the middle of a word and you just push E to go to the end of the word or the example of like moving backwards and forwards words using like W and B. Mm -hmm. So 
text objects and motions are kind of similar, but they refer to slightly different concepts. Okay. But you can combine those with commands. So mm. I mentioned right at the start, like C, I, um, W to change inside a word. If I go just uh, C, W, that will just change to the end of the word. So it's applying the C command, the change command, mm -hmm. to the W motion, whereas I, W is a text object. Yeah. So you can kind of use them similar, but you'll get different different results depending on where your cursor is, whether you're using motion or mm, a text object. Okay, that makes sense. And so uh, let's step away from change for a second because I think that can be confusing at times. Let's talk about delete. So if you were delete, in yeah. a traditional editing scenario and you wanted to delete a word, you would probably go to that word and you'd click on the end of the word and drag to the beginning of the word and hit delete. Or you'd click on the end or the beginning and just hit delete enough times to get it, right? And so one of the things that you Yeah, I mean, you can have like you know, maybe I think you can push like alt or something and shift and mm -hmm. then you can kind of like navigate word wise, I think in a lot yep. of editors. Yeah. And um, that's, that's, that's usually the only movement that you actually get for free in most editors, right? Is like holding uh, maybe, yeah. Oh yeah. Also, I was gonna say option, option and shift, and then you go left and right. So, but we get a lot more when we're in Vim because like, let's say we're deleting, deleting is a command that you're talking about, right? So we want to delete, but yep. what you're doing with Vim is, or in NeoVim is you're saying, okay, but what do I delete? Do I delete a thing? Do I delete to another thing? Do I delete back to another thing? Yeah. So whenever you say delete, like the D key, it's not going to do anything until you give it like the target, right? And so what you're telling exactly. us is we can say delete an object. One of, the, one of the objects you talked about was inside of a word. So like the whole word basically, but you can mm -hmm. also delete, you know, in a movement, like delete till the end of the line, delete until the next word, delete back to the previous word. And so you're kind of like telling it like, the verb is delete, and then the object mm -hmm. of the verb is whatever to delete to or what to delete, right? Is that kind of what you're saying about the, the difference between the object is the object is what to delete and the movement is where to delete till, right? Exactly. Okay. And you can use commands with either of those two things. Yeah. So you can delete with a motion or delete a text object. Right. And then there's a lot of other objects or a lot of other commands that you can do. So you mentioned change. So I know that we don't mm -hmm. want to go through all of them, but what's the difference between change and delete? Not a whole lot, but again, it's an optimization. So when you delete, you're in normal mode when you were showing this command. When you delete, it removes the word, but it leaves you in normal mode. So you can then just go ahead and mm -hmm. move to wherever else you want to go. The only difference with change is that it will delete the word, but it'll put you in insert mode automatically. Yeah. And there's some other like little nuances to this as well. So if I delete a word, it's going to remove the word and the extra space so that you don't end up with like two spaces because mm, there was a space mm -hmm. before and after the word. It doesn't just delete the word. It's going to delete the word and one of the spaces. But if you change it, it leaves that space there because it knows that you're changing this oh, word cool. and there's going to be a new word here. So it'd leave the space at the start and the end of it. Okay. So there's like little subtle things like that that once you get used to them. And yeah. one of the things with them is it is very overwhelming to get started with because yeah. you kind of have to like internalize all these things and it has a very steep learning curve but for me it has more than paid off learning all these things because now it's just like anytime I do a screencast about something that's not Vim but I'm using Vim mm -hmm. all the comments are like all just blown away about <laughs> how quickly I can edit text and move yeah. around and it's like my cursor's here but somehow it changed something over there and it's like how, how did you do that <laughs> yeah I love that and there's so many things, like, I mean, I know that I'm just kind of going back to the same thing, but there's so many ways in which the way our brains process the content we're working with 
Vim has an, an analogies. That's not right, but basically has a parallel to that in a way that a traditional text editor doesn't. So like we, you've already mentioned a bunch of them, everything within the parentheses, everything within the quotes or changing out the quotes, like good luck saying in a traditional editor, I want to change out all the simple single quotes within these three lines to double quotes, right? Like that's just not mm -hmm. going to happen. And some text editors make these a little bit easier with multi-select. Um, so, yeah. I, you know, nerds, you'll understand like, yeah, we, we have that in Sublime Text and Code and stuff like that. But there's just a level of, I mean, it's grammar, it's syntax. You're literally telling your text editor, you're building like sentences to it. And the sentences are things like within lines three to 17, only if those lines don't contain the word duck, make sure that every single time that the word foul is used there, it's changed to spell F-O-W-L instead of F-O-U-L, enter. And then it just does it for all of them. And then just you can do it. that again yeah. really quickly with little modifications. It's like, it's just, there's so much freaking stuff you can do. So again, how do you tell people well, what else to do from here? I, you touched on a, on a good one there, which is the repeat command, which is just dot. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, the dot on your keyboard. And the thing I love about that, say I want to, I don't know, change a word somewhere to something else. I keep using the change example, but... Yeah. That could be a really short word that you're changing and you change it to a really long word. Mm -hmm. You can move the cursor then to another word. Doesn't, it doesn't have to be the same word, but when you push dot, it issues the same command. So it's going to change that word to that other word you used. Yeah. yeah. So you can just keep hitting dot then yeah. instead of retyping that thing all over again. Mm -hmm. And changes you make in NeoVim are very, like we call them like atomic changes. Mm -hmm. They're very descriptive little discrete changes that do something and so being able to like repeat these atomic changes yeah is really good it's not like when i push the dot command it's going to type the last letter i typed right it kind of knows that i issued a command and that's the thing it's going to repeat mm -hmm. and some of the other examples you can delete until the next occurrence of a particular letter or mm -hmm. change until the next occurrence of a particular letter and there's even nuances within that so i can say delete up until this particular letter, yeah. or I can say delete, including that letter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's just the difference between like D, F, and then the letter. So delete, find that, and that will remove that letter as well, or D, T, and then that letter. And I always think that one is like till, like short for until, uh, delete yeah. until. Yeah. And so you end up with all these little mnemonics of what all the commands mean. And mm -hmm. most of them kind of have something that let you like latch onto it. Like, yeah. you know, the change command being C, right. delete being D, and then the text objects kind of have these little ways of describing them. Like IW is like inside word and there's AW, which is an around a word. And those have subtle differences with the spaces. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing it with say quotes or parenthesis, you can say like delete inside the parenthesis or delete around the parenthesis, which will delete them, the parenthesis themselves as well. Yeah. And all those little micro things like, you might not think, you know, oh, why, why does that matter having that small little optimization? Right. But again, it comes down to, I just see the thing I want to change and I know what I want to change it to. Yeah. And half the time, I don't even remember what the commands are. If <laughs> someone asks me something, yeah. I have to look at my hands and do it because it's all muscle memory. Yeah. My brain just thinks I want to get rid of that and my hands just do it automatically. I love that. And once you get to that point, like past the initial learning curve, where you're having to really consciously think about it. Once you get to the point where it's all muscle memory, that's when, to me, the magic happens. Yeah. It's so funny because as you've been talking through these things, my brain is actually replaying. And I'm not a full-time Vim user, so I, I couldn't match up with you at all. But I've used it on and off for decades at this point, enough where you'll say something and I'm like replaying in my head like, oh, to do that, I would be for, you know, DD... Uh, 2JP and I'm just thinking through these things but I'm like having to like I'm having to name in my brain what would that actually 
be commanding because it's just it's just my fingers are like, oh yeah, that's what I would do. And it's really fun that you get into these rhythms where your brain translates something to that grammar because you're familiar with it. And then it types the grammar and then the computer does the grammar. And so there's just so many little optimizations there versus always doing the same thing, which is click with the mouse, hit the back button or hit the arrow button a bunch of times. And so I think one of the things, the biggest criticisms I have of non-Vim world, which makes me love the Vim world is there's really just a few operations in the normal editor word, up, down, left, right. Maybe you're really advanced and you're doing like the alt shift and the alt, you know, alt left and alt right. And, you know, nobody uses the page up and page down buttons or anything like that. Right. You know, like, so like, yeah, there's only a couple things you can do and you do have a delete key, which is similar to the delete key and the, or, or the change thing in Vim. But like, there's just no matter what you're doing in normal text editing, you have a few things to work with and Vim and NeoVim give you this incredibly expansive set of tools, which does make onboarding kind of overwhelming at times. Right. But at the same time, once you learn them, it's sort of like, I often talk to people who are like, why do you use such big words sometimes? And I'm like, well, because that's the right word for the scenario. So we can either all <laughs> yeah. reuse these same simple words for a million different scenarios and have no nuance or just know the big SAT word because that is the appropriate fit for this. So I love people who have big vocabularies, not because there's anything wrong with not having one, but because it gives the ability to express the thing more particularly and specifically and succinctly, right? And I think of Vim as sort of the yeah. same thing. Like, yeah, it's a much bigger dictionary of things you can possibly do. So you have to learn more commands, movements, all that kind of stuff. But once you do, you can so succinctly say, go from my brain says, delete paragraph, delete to the end of paragraph, change everything inside the single quotes, change all the single quotes, double quotes. You can go so quickly from that idea to that implementation that like you said, when people are watching you do it, it looks like magic. And a lot of us who love Vim and NeoVim fell in love with it by watching somebody else who used it, you know, whether it's the yes. execute code guy or anybody else. Like We're like, whatever that is, I want it. And it's worth whatever it yep. takes. So what made you get into it originally? Exactly what you said. Yeah. I can't remember when because I, I started using it when I was a teenager, which mm -hmm. is quite a long time ago now. But I just saw people using it. And, you know, back then I was getting like really into Linux and all this server stuff, but I was using a text editor called like Nano and Pico mm -hmm. and all those. Mm -hmm. And they're another terminal-based one, but they don't have modes or anything like that. They're much more like a traditional editor, Yeah. but probably have less than a traditional editor. You can basically like backspace type stuff and then save yeah. the file. And that's yeah. like, you know, about it. You can search, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, but seeing people use Vim was what made me go, yeah, I need that in mm -hmm. my life. And as, you know, new editors have come out, um, especially code related ones, you know, VS Code, PHP Storm, all these sorts of things. I always look at them and I'm always like, oh, that's got some really cool features I want. Yeah. And as you said earlier, some of them have like, you know, Vim mode where they'll kind of give you some of those, like they'll kind of try and make it a bit modal so you can use a lot of the things from Vim. Mm -hmm. But I've never found one that actually truly implements it in the way that mm -hmm. Vim does. Like it always feels a little bit broken. You'll go mm -hmm. and reach for something and it doesn't quite work. Yeah. One of the other things is with Vim, like, it's very, very extensible. There's tons and tons of plugins for it. You can kind of write your own for it. Yeah. And there's some plugins that to me are essential in Vim hmm. that if I don't have them, like they're ones that feel like they should be there because they honor that, you know, the same sort of style of thing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the Vim modes don't you have those, those plugins. Okay. And those to me are kind of essential. And some of them might add more text objects, for mm -hmm. example. So, okay. you know, if you're working with HTML and you've got the little, you know, the little attributes on the HTML tags, you can add text objects for those. Oh, cool. I didn't so know that. You can that. very quickly just delete one of those attributes. Like, so you can, like, depending on what you're working with, you can add more 
things to it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it comes with a lot of them out of the box. Right. And for like, you know, I try and use Vim for, you know, writing emails, everything, not just for code. That's one of the things I want to stress is that I use Vim for everything I'm writing yeah. because it makes it so much easier to then go and edit things, which is what I'm doing all the time. Yeah. And it already comes with all the things out of the box. It's got text objects for paragraphs mm-hmm. and all those sorts of things built into it. Yeah. I wrote my book in a syntax that looks very like much like Markdown. So the programmers will be familiar, but those of you who aren't programmers, Markdown is a very kind of programmer-focused coding. Or It's as if you were to use like the ability to do bold and underline stuff like that. But instead of seeing it, you're doing like little tiny code markup on the things. So I wrote my book in something like that, and I wrote the whole thing in Sublime Text with Vim bindings on. And now you're kind of like making me challenge that, like, when I do the update to my book, can I actually go do the whole thing in Vim? And I'm, I'm not sure because, again, I'm not as accomplished of a Vim user as you are. But I have found that there's many, many, many circumstances around my computer where I'm doing some kind of text manipulation and URLs are one of them, writing stuff in the terminal, writing, you know, where I'm just like, oh, this would be a lot faster to get from here to there or to change just this. And then you just get spoiled by it, right? I'm like, oh, now I have to, yeah. you know, do whatever to get the whole way to the beginning of the line or whatever else it ends up being. So it makes sense when you get into it that you want it everywhere. But I want to ask you if somebody hears this and they're like, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready to try it. Let's start for programmers because obviously it's an easier intro okay. for programmers. So if someone's a programmer and they're like, I'm ready to try NeoVim, I'm ready to learn this, how do they get NeoVim set up? How do they get the optimal setup, right? Because a lot of times it's like, it's, you, do you want to use base NeoVim or do you want to use it with all the best plugins? Mm-hmm. Do you copy somebody else's, you know, Vim, uh, Vim RC file or whatever it's called, or do you, you do your own? And then what was the first, yeah, how do they get it? How do they get it? How do they get it set up? And then how do they learn it? Like what's the first steps for a programmer who wants to get into that? Sure. So installing, it's going to depend on your operating system, whether you're on Mac or Windows or Linux. Um, but if you go to the NeoVim website or the Vim website, it'll kind of help you out. Okay. Interestingly, Vim tends to come with, I think Vim comes out of the box on Mac yeah. uh, and on most Linux systems. Um, NeoVim being kind of like a more modern fork doesn't come out of the box. But if you go to their website, they've got all the different ways of installing it for different operating systems. Remembering that you're running it in a terminal. So when you're on that command line, we've got that little prompt that's like type some things. And maybe mm-hmm. like some people might be familiar with, you know, doing DIR or LS to list the contents of a directory. That's where you would type Vim or NVim or whatever it is to open up your Vim flavor of choice. Mm-hmm. In terms of like customizations and all that, generally people strongly discourage, and I am one of them, just copying someone else's config Amen. verbatim. Amen. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> It's one of those things that's very, very personal. It's mm-hmm. very deeply personal. I also, I like people to learn the like foundations of it mm-hmm. and find where they're hitting areas that they don't like about it because that's part of using Vim. It's like, you know, the, the craftsman that's got all the tools, keeping them sharp, choosing the right ones, maybe mm-hmm. modifying the handle to make it more comfortable. To me, configuring Vim feels like that. You're mm-hmm. like modifying and, and making this tool better so that it can do its job better. Um, so I would just use it as it is, maybe put a theme on it or something if, you know, cause yeah. the default ones can be pretty, pretty bad. Yeah. And in terms of learning it, I think the best and most easiest resource is called Vim Tutor mm-hmm. and it's literally comes with Vim. So yeah. you can just type on your command line, like Vim Tutor and all it does is open a text file Yeah. and it's got instructions in there and it has you make changes to this text file. It's the most simple tutorial ever because it's literally just a text file that you open yeah. and it has some example text and it's like, all right, go down and change the occurrences of this yeah. to this. And these are the commands that are the most efficient way of doing that. Yeah. 
and you just run through that and then probably run through it again. Yes. <laughs> until you start to like, and that's a good way of getting a feel for what it's like to use Vim. Mm-hmm. And obviously you'll be like, oh, this is hard to remember all these things, but you'll at least kind of get like a day in the life experience mm-hmm. almost of what it's like. And as I said, you'll start to maybe find some things that it doesn't do or annoys you about. I would always encourage people to try and see if something can be done natively in Vim before you reach for a plugin mm-hmm. because if you just keep bolting on plugins, you'll end up with a very uh, much more heavy setup mm-hmm. and some things might conflict and not work the way you expect. And it also means when you go and use Vim somewhere else, maybe you're on a server somewhere or that, that like if it's not exactly right, yeah, you won't know how to use it. Yeah. So I try and use the defaults as much as possible yeah. and just add on to that rather than going, I don't like the movement keys being HJKL, I'm going to bind them to ASDF. Yeah. Strongly discouraged. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's helpful. Can I add one note real quick? One of the things that we have yeah. not named so far is one of the really cool things about tools like Vim is unlike the majority of times we're working with really heavy editors like Code and Sublime or PHP Storm and stuff like that, when you SSH into a remote server, and if you've ever done any development, you know, de- DevOps or anything like that, sysadmin stuff, it's happens. You are fully able to do all the same stuff you do. And, you know, you might not have your plugins, you might not have your theme, but all those same movements that make you super fast that don't rely on the mouse, because, again, good luck, like, using the mouse when you're SSH into something or whatever. But, like, all these things that you have, all these great movements are now available to you on every server, every Linux server and every Mac server around the world. So anytime you're on any Linux or Mac computer, you can type Vim and be just as fast on that one as you are when at home. And I've been really shocked at how much of an impact that makes for me, both SSHing into other servers and also just picking up a computer that's not my programming computer and having to work from it for a while. I'm like, well, I don't have everything else, but I got Vim, you know? So it's a really portable, yep. flexible thing. So I wanted you to keep going, but I just wanted to name that. Yeah, I 100% agree. There's some things that I did in the early days. So I'd use the arrow keys. Mm-hmm. And even though I knew everyone was telling you, you know, learn HJKL, don't use the arrow keys. It's really hard to not do that because yeah. it's so easy. Yeah. And it's very frustrating at first. Yeah. Like Vim is frustrating to learn because for a long time, like maybe not a super long time, but for a little while you will be slower, slower. Yeah. Mm-hmm. than you are with a normal editor while you're still figuring these things out. Yeah. And so you can actually bind the arrow keys to a no-op or a no-operation so they don't so do they don't anything. Work. Yeah, I'd love and that. I had to do that. That was the only way I could break the habit of using the arrow keys. Yeah. And it is amazing how like having the arrow keys now, the movement keys right under your fingers, not mm-hmm. having to move that hand back a little bit. Once I like got used to doing that, I'm like, oh, this is why they told me to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Now I get it. That's awesome. And then in terms of customizing it, I mean, I tend to like – I've watched quite a few YouTube videos of just watching people use it mm-hmm. and you'll pick up on things and you're like, oh, how do they do that? Mm. And you'll just go and learn that thing. Yeah. I start using it, you know, I started using it in my day job so many years ago. And if there was something that was annoying me about a workflow, I'd just write it down and then come back to it later mm-hmm. and, you know, figure out how to actually make that thing better. Yeah. And my setup continually evolves mm-hmm. over time because I'm constantly trying to like stamp out little things that, you know, that annoy you. Yeah. We're frustrating me. Yeah, yeah. And so one of the best ways, though, to learn about what you can do is to look at other people's configs. Mm-hmm. So a lot, a lot of people put their Vim configuration online. Mm-hmm. It's normally in a in a repository, like a GitHub repository called .files, mm-hmm. because on these kind of Unixy systems, all the configuration files start with a dot, mm-hmm. which makes them hidden. So .files has become the kind of the name to refer to configuration files. Yeah. And my dot files are online. They're on GitHub. Right. We'll put them and in the show notes. I think I've got like 300 and something stars on my dot files it. repo. That's awesome. Because I like I did a talk at VimConf mm. 
And even when you're talking to a crowd of Vim people, they'll see you do things and like, that's really that. cool. That's I need awesome. That. <laughs> and so I encourage people to share their dot files, yeah. but I just, what I don't encourage is just like copying mm. someone else's verbatim. I've done that. Understand each change, each thing that happens in your, yeah, I think Mm -hmm. we've all done it. Yeah. And there are, there are kind of like these kind of pre-made distros or distributions of of Vim in the OVM. You can get that kind of have a lot of stuff configured for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if that's what you like, then that's, that's fine. But I still prefer understanding what each thing does and being very mindful about what I incorporate in. Yeah. Because otherwise, as I said, it can add unexpected things that, you know, that's kind of my my guidance on that. I like that. And what, one of the things you mentioned there, I really appreciate about the workflows. There's a teacher in the Laravel world named Jeffrey Way who has historically used Vim. And one of the things he told me that I really appreciate was one of the things that helped him get good at Vim was when he was annoyed with something because it was slower in Vim than it was somewhere else. He said, he and he, he did a little different than you. I like that you write it down. He said, I'm going to stop. I'm going to figure out how I'm supposed to be doing that thing in the Vim way. And then next time I'm going to do it the Vim way. So he's just like, every single time I get annoyed, he's like, if I let those pile up and pile up and pile up, then I eventually just quit Vim. He's like, I've quit Vim like seven times, you know, back then. And he's like, but at some point, if I just say, when I hit that annoyance, when I hit that thing that's slowing me down, rather than like powering through and it being even just like a crappier, slower version of my normal editor, I say, wait a minute, step back. How was I supposed to do this in a Vimby way? And again, you can't do that forever, but if you do that for a couple months, you're going to be so much faster after those couple months that it'll be worth it. So it's just you got to kind of make that commitment to like being like, I'm going to learn this thing the whole way through and just do it, you know. So I love that recommendation. Yeah, I agree. I think I think there is like a good balance between like solving a problem right now, mm-hmm. even though it's going to take you out of the flow of the thing you're doing, because then you can incorporate it straight away and start building that muscle memory. Other things that are not like maybe it's just like a little minor annoyance. Those are the things I normally like write, write down, down yeah. and then come that. back to it later. It's awesome. like, oh, that thing's been bugging me, but I can kind of, I can live with it. Yeah. The things that are like just too painful, go and learn them straight yeah. away. Yeah, totally. That's awesome. And I, most of you won't be able to see this, but I'm going to hold it up for the YouTube people. I guess not most of you, but I have a keyboard here that is, this is not Vim related. Oh, is it the Kinesis? Yeah, it's the Kinesis Advantage 2. I can't get it any higher up. But basically, you may be able to see, uh, I can't get it to focus. Go look up just Kinesis Advantage 2. And it's using a keyboard layout that is not the traditional keyboard layout. And I forget the name of it is hex something, ortho something, I don't know. But basically, your fingers have to be in different places. Like, for example... The enter key is under my thumb. The command and control keys are like above in my thumb. And like everything is in different places here. Not everything. Everything except for the letters are in different places in this keyboard. And even the letters are a little bit different places. And this is not like the only keyboard. There's many keyboards that have the same layout. But when you have been using a keyboard, I mean, I used to keyboard since I was like eight or nine years old or something like that. And then I got this because I was having repetitive stress injuries. And the amount of time it took for me to get even remotely as fast in this as I was elsewhere was the most infuriating experience I've ever had. Yes. Because, and so that was similar with Vim for me. It's just like, I hate this. What am I doing? I was perfectly fine where I was. <laughs> this one is a little bit easier to stick with because I'm like, my body requires me to do this. I still don't know if mm-hmm. I'm quite as fast of a coder in this because I've switched to this since I've become more of like a thinker type and a, a company owner versus a coder. So I might be a little tiny bit slower, but I think I'm not. But with Vim, it was a similar experience where, but it was harder to justify it because I'm like, I'm going slow to go fast. What is this? And it had nothing to do with yeah. my healing. So that's one of the reasons why multiple times I've tried to learn Vim and gone far enough to get comfortable with it, but never able to get fully fluent with it. So I feel like, is is there any trick to pushing the whole way through? Or is it just, just push, push, push and believe you're going to get there? Like you don't, you don't have any like magic trick for that, do you? No magic trick. I mean, 
I guess it depends on how strong your motivation is yeah. and like, you know, whether you've seen someone using it, like, you know, you get that experience of like, I want that. Yeah. I guess it depends on how strong that urge and is, committed yeah. you are yeah. to like, to having that thing. Yeah. And, you know, if you get into it and it doesn't like fit your mental model of editing text, like that's fine, yeah. but be aware that it probably won't for everyone to start with. Yeah. Yeah. But there may be people that, you know, I mean, there's obviously a lot of people that prefer not using it. Yeah. So, but I think most of the people that don't, that have tried it and don't like it didn't give it enough time. I was going to say, I don't know and anybody. Maybe they don't have the time. Like, Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know anybody who's like gotten good at Vim and then decided, eh, this isn't it. Literally nobody. So I know a lot of people who've tried and given up. And that that's maybe that's biased, right? They gave up because it wasn't for them. But I think there's something to be said that like if we could like give everybody one day where your fingers just work like a Vim master, you'd be like, yep, that's it. That's what I want. I will put the work in to get there. But it's just like it's so much work to get there. I feel like I'm scaring people it away. Is. It's not so much work, but there is a learning curve. Don't be discouraged if you try it. If we want people to have the 100%. chance to get really excited about watching somebody, can we potentially link one of your uh, screencasts where you're doing your Vim thing in the, in the yeah, show notes? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. So there's. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you're like, all right, I need this experience that y'all are describing where you <laughs> go watch somebody fly, we're going to link one of Jess's um, screencasts in the show notes so you can go take a look at it. I know we're kind of like nearing where we need to wrap up, but before I answer, like go enter, enter to our kind of like second to last question, you know what? No, before I do that, sure. we've been talking about Vim as a general concept this whole time and almost not at all about NeoVim. I'm familiar with Vim. Okay. I know nothing about NeoVim. So for me and other okay. people like me, tell me about NeoVim. What, what reason is for them? And, and also if somebody's coming at this for the first time, is there any reason for them to consider Vim or should everybody just go to NeoVim right now? That's a very controversial question. Okay. <laughs> so... Vim itself is still under active development. It's not like a, you know, it was built right. in the 90s and hasn't no, been touched dead. since. Yeah. It's still under active development. Um, it has a, like, single main maintainer, kind of like, you know, Laravel, things like that. Mm -hmm. they, they call them, like, the BDFL, the Benevolent Dictator for Life. Yep. And this person, Bram, is very, very opinionated on how things go. And there's been kind of a movement of people that want to take it in a bit of a different direction. Mm, okay. And he was very resistant to that. Hmm. So that's kind of where NeoVim started was a bunch of people wanted to take it in a different direction. And this happens with software, like open source software all the time. There's forks happen. Most of the time those forks don't go anywhere. The kind of original one stays the popular one. Yeah. At the moment I'd say Vim is still far more popular than NeoVim, okay. but NeoVim has gained so much traction hmm. compared to most software forks. And it brings a lot of modern features that Vim is kind of – one of the interesting things is like as much as Vim kind of resisted some of the features, a lot of them are ending up in Vim now mm, as well. Interesting. But one of the main things for me for using NeoVim is to do with programming. And it's, it's going to sound a little bit technical, but they've implemented a native LSP client. So LSP is Language Server mm -hmm. Protocol. Language Server Protocol is something Microsoft invented for VS Code. And it basically provides a way that if I'm working with PHP code or JavaScript code, you can have a language server that is kind of running and understands that code yeah. and knows all the files that are open. And you can ask that language server to do changes to the code that are outside the scope of what a text editor can do. Mm -hmm. So in NeoVim, I can replace all the occurrences of uh, like, a, you know, a word or a variable name in a file very easily. Mm. But those variables might not actually all be referencing the same thing. They might not be the same right. instance of it. Yeah. And Vim has no way of knowing that because it doesn't like actually parse your code Got it. and understand some of the semantics of it. That's where a language server comes in. Mm. I can say I want to rename this variable 
and it'll rename the instances of that that actually refer to the same concept. Mm. But if you've got another method somewhere else that accepts this parameter with the same name, it's not going to go and rename those because it knows those wow, okay. are different. That's smart. So all the features that kind of like, well, so many of the features that are in VS Code around kind of modifying and refactoring code, even things like jumping to definition, which again is very mm -hmm. technical, but if you've got, if you're using a piece of code that someone else has written, you can kind of like jump to where that code mm -hmm. is. So you can see what that code looks like, or even in your own code, when you're using it somewhere and you want to go to like where that is referenced. Again, NeoVim doesn't have that understanding, but a language server does. Mm. And so when you plug a language server into NeoVim, it gives it all these superpowers related to code. Wow. That's amazing. And you can use the same language servers that VS Code uses. Mm -hmm. So you basically get all the benefits that Microsoft has brought to VS Code and all the community has created all these different language servers. You can use those in Vim now okay. with NeoVim. You can use them with regular Vim, but it's not native. Okay. You've got to use like a plugin and then that plugin has plugins. Got it. And to me, that's a bit clunky. I used it for a while, mm -hmm. but once I found that NeoVim had this like native language server protocol support, that's when I okay. have to like, that's cool. like no, I want to be as close to this as possible. Okay. It has a bunch of other things, like some UI tweaks they've made that make it just that little bit nicer, that little bit more modern. You can have like floating pop-up windows with like okay. a faux transparency on them. Yeah. Just little things like that. Okay. And the other main difference is that the configuration language for it is called Lua, which is oh, a okay. well-established scripting language. Yeah. So Vim itself is configured in something called VimScript, mm -hmm. which is this really archaic and I find horrible to use language. Yep. <laughs> and when you're configuring it, it's like kind of annoying to write this code. Yeah. Whereas NeoVim works with VimScript, mm -hmm. but they favor Lua. And there's all these plugins coming out now that are written purely in Lua. Mm. They're faster. They're easier to maintain and understand. I love that. So, sorry for getting a little bit technical there, but that's kind of, for me, why I like NeoVim. Um, that's why I've switched to NeoVim. Okay. But if you're just editing text, Vim is okay. got everything you need. Are there any downsides to NeoVim in your experience? It is... Still fairly early days. So like depending on if you use like the nightly versions mm -hmm. where they basically all the code that was written that day gets kind of compiled that night and then ships out to you, yeah. you can end up with, you know, maybe it'll break using it with a certain plugin or there'll be a bug introduced. And Got I it. tend to like using the nightlies okay. because like at the rate of features that are coming, like I, like, I need these features, yeah. give them to me, give them to me. But it does also mean then that you also have to take the bugs that come with those features. Got it. Um, but there are like stable versions of NeoVim. So you can kind of like go to like the last stable release mm -hmm. and you'll have a pretty good experience there. So I don't feel like there's really any disadvantages okay. with NeoVim personally. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, you know, people that don't like NeoVim would yeah, tell say all, all the reasons. Them, but. Yeah. But none that come to your mind. Yeah. Okay. So now what I was about to ask a second ago, is there anything else that we have not covered in terms, because I know this is a huge world and there's so many things we can talk about. So is there anything we didn't cover in the Vim and NeoVim kind of introduction that you want us to take a chance to talk about? I don't think so. Like, yeah, the main things are like the commands, motions, and text objects mm -hmm. and the language it gives you for expressing changes, um, the modal nature of it, mm -hmm. you know, the paintbrush analogy. Those are kinds of the main concepts that when I first heard them explained that way, things started to click. Yeah. I kind of understood why things were the way they were. Because yeah. as I said, it feels really weird when you first open it and nothing works the way that yeah. any other editor does. Yeah. So to me, those are like the main takeaways, I would say. Okay. So anybody who's listening to this now knows how to set up Vim, knows how to set up NeoVim, um, is going to have links in the show notes to an example of Jess doing an amazing, fast usage of Vim. <laughs> 
and we'll link to some other notes about like from the Vim documentation about how to get started with the Vim tutor and everything like that. So if you're interested in all these things, you know, we're going to give you the basics, but there are also extensive Vim communities. There's tons of people on Twitter and discords and conferences and so many YouTube things and multiple books. There's a book called Practical Vim and probably several others. So if you want, there's resources aplenty to learn. Uh, If you're interested, don't feel like you can't have any help. And uh, if you get stuck, just reach out to Jess or me on Twitter and both of us would be more than happy to help you. Although if you reach out to me, there's a good chance I'll just refer you to Jess. But regardless, (laughs) reach out to one of us and we'd be more than happy to help you get set up. It's, It's one of the things I'm most passionate about. I love that. So yeah, I love helping people get better with vim okay well we're gonna keep moving because we're we're running late because this is a fascinating topic but thank you so much for sharing all that so you know i have one last question for you which is what insider support did you either receive or need when you were younger that you hope more people will give to people today that's a really good question i think it's kind of funny but i moved into a house moved out of home moved into a house and it turns out the landlord had an it business okay and so I started working at this IT business. Okay. And then I ended up through him working for a data cabler, okay. someone that runs cables through buildings yeah. and all this sort of stuff. And the thing about that was the work ethic and the way of thinking hmm. that was instilled in me from that kind of apprentice experience hmm. has stayed with me forever. The way of like there was just little things like if he was in someone's house drilling a hole through a wall, he'd have a vacuum cleaner and he'd vacuum hmm. up those little things. I love that. He was always thinking very deliberately and very considered about how all that would work. And that sort of, to me, was like had a huge impression on me. Mm. And the way that he would talk about like thinking about the next steps of something Mm -hmm. so that like me as being basically like an assistant, I would already be thinking what tool does this person need for the next job and like having those things ready. Mm. And that sort of stuff has still stayed with me. Like if I'm helping my partner cooking, trying to anticipate and help and all that. So I don't know if that exactly answers your question, but like having, I don't know, like that sort of just that experience of someone that takes pride in their Mm, work and passion in their work. Yeah. I love that. And having someone take a chance on me to like, you know, yeah, like put me in a position where I could learn that and have that exposure to that was yeah. Transformative for me. I love to hear that. It reminds me, Taylor often mentions the, um, one of his grandfathers who I think he says he paints the underside of the drawers like and the hell idea is yeah. just like doing that little extra bit of work to really care about doing an excellent job and my dad was very very big on like if it, if you're going to do something you you should do it I forget his phrase but basically if you're going to do it do it well is effectively what he was trying to say to us and so yeah it's it's interesting because that's certainly not the message you get from a lot of places right like it's often about just get it done and go home or whatever and certainly people could yeah. use some of these like do it as best as you can things in manipulative ways like we're all in, we're all in it together. So stay later and work harder. Right. And that's, that's not the message here, <laughs> no. but no, it's so interesting how work is not your family. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Uh, but it's so interesting how you're talking about like the traditional trades. I feel like have had a lot more opportunity to develop these. You can meet a tradesperson or craftsperson who obviously deeply cares about the quality of what they're doing. And often that's been passed down. Right. And it's something they developed over decades. And I feel like programming is so new we often don't have some of those same like kind of cultures and some of those same ways of like, oh, I learned this from my mentor who learned it from their mentor because we don't have that many generations of programmers, right? We don't right? do it, no. Yeah. The thing with like with a lot of those trades is they normally have an apprentice. Mm-hmm. And so you've got the experienced person and the apprentice that kind of helps out, but then learning all these skills and how to think about these things. And with programming, we normally just shove our developers just on their own. Yeah. 
they kind of learn what they learn and then it's like, all right, you're doing this project on your own, yeah. go finish it. And so like for me in programming, pair programming has mm -hmm. been a fantastic way of learning yeah, like just picking up on all those little things mm -hmm. from watching someone else work and seeing how they solve problems, how they think, not just seeing the end result, mm -hmm. but also seeing how they think mm -hmm. and how they got to where they are, what mistakes they made, mm -hmm. getting to there, all that sort of stuff is super, super valuable. So yeah, work in pairs. <laughs> you you maybe, it's funny because I used to live stream all the time and I stopped live streaming just because it was a lot of cost for what felt like not a lot of benefit to me. But the number one piece of feedback I got from people was I loved watching how you solved X, Y, Z. And it was never the stuff that was the point of the video, right? Like the point of the video was how to mm. do this. But they're always like, I loved how you solved this problem, how you debug that thing, how you whatever. I love seeing that. And I'm like, oh, maybe maybe that was a value that I was providing that I wasn't aware of. Because now that you're mentioning that, I was like, well, how can people pair program who don't necessarily have someone to pair program? I was like, oh, watch one of your videos, right? Like watch a live stream. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, that is sort of a form of pair programming is when you're watching somebody, but it can't be these perfectly prepared videos. Nothing is wrong with those. But like no, you're, yeah. you're not seeing the mistakes because they edited them out because they did it 17 times, which again, which is fine for a certain type of video, but the pair programming requires you to see the whole thing the whole way through. And so I, I really appreciate that kind of note and it's definitely making me think. I agree, yeah. I like watched um, Adam Wathen, who's previous guest. He's done a lot of screencasts mm -hmm. on using like Tailwind. And I learned so much about Tailwind from watching him use it mm -hmm. and seeing his thought process on what went into things and seeing the good and the bad and yeah. all that sort of stuff. And I'm like, I now understand how he thinks and it means I understand more how the framework works, yeah. what the kind of the idio, um, so what the idiomatic way. Oh, yeah, yeah, the idiomatic way. Yeah, yeah no, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. So all those things exposing yourself to is always good. And I need to do more of it because I've kind of got to a point now where sometimes I feel like I can do everything I need to do, but you can always, always improve. Yeah. I love that. I really appreciate that. Um, as always, these are such good notes. I'm like, Oh crap, we are supposed to actually continue the episode and I just get stuck <laughs> in these forever. Okay. So if someone is listening to this and they think you're amazing, well, first of all, if they think of him and Neo Vim are amazing, we're going to have all sorts of stuff in the show notes. We'll also have links to you and your yep. Twitter profiles, but if they think you're amazing, how do they follow you? How do they support you? Is there any way they can give you money? Kind of what does it look like to just kind of like stay involved with Jess Archer's life? Sure. So Probably the main place is on Twitter. So I'm um, Jess Archer Codes on mm -hmm. Twitter. Um, you can follow me on GitHub. I don't know how interesting that would be, but <laughs> like my dot files and all that sort of stuff are on right. GitHub. So if you want to see those, like that's where to go for those sorts of things. Um, I have a website that I never update, so I wouldn't probably wouldn't bother going there. Got it. The only other thing is at the moment I'm working on a project with some friends I'm mm -hmm. really excited about, and it's called Heirloom, A-I-R-L-U-M-E. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And it's basically a a way of capturing your memories and photographs with their stories so that you can pass them down through generations. Wow. And I'm super excited about this particular project. Okay. So I can put a link to yeah, that please. if you don't mind. Yeah, and definitely. people can see what that's all about because it's, yeah, it's kind of like, it's almost like the way Facebook should have been mm. combined mm. with like Google Photos, like the the high quality kind of yeah. storage because Facebook things are yeah, like a combination of these, yeah. a bit of ancestry, mm -hmm. Storing this like timeline of your memories, this. and the idea is that we hold the data forever because deep storage now is getting so much cheaper yeah. that you can save these things and pass them down. And you can have beneficiaries and oh all my this gosh. sort of stuff. Okay. So I'm very excited to learn more about this. So we will put this in the show notes. And awesome. thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. Well, I guess that's it for today. Gosh, there's been so much good stuff. I'm like, oh, do we have to be done? <laughs> yes, we do. Okay, Jess, this is amazing. Thank you so much for teaching us as always. And yeah, I really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much for inviting me.
Awesome. It's always a pleasure chatting with yeah, you. Yeah, it really is. And to the rest of you, until next time, be good to each other. Bye.